2 Timothy chapter 1, um, the Apostle Paul is writing to his son in the faith named Timothy, and he, he, he's going to give us this, this little idea that uh, could really change our life. And if you're not careful when you read the Bible, you can read right over these little truths that, that are very impactful to us. And this is um, 2 Timothy 1.5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Now watch, watch where he says this faith originated, which first lived, everyone say lived. Lived in your grandmother Lois and in your, mo- in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives, everyone say lives, lives in you also. So the Apostle Paul says there is a faith that is in you that did not originate with you. And he he doesn't credit God. He credits his grandmother and then he credits his mother and then he credits him. And so there is a faith that can get on you and that can live in you that will absolutely impact the next generation. And so I'm going to talk to parents, but if you're not a parent, listen, because if you ever become a parent, this will be important to you. Even if you're an aunt or uncle or a mentor, a leader in any level, this will be important to you. Um, but I, I, I'm going to share, it's, it's going to be kind of basic, but I, I believe it's prophetic. I believe God gave me a word for families. And I want to declare over your family, the blessing of God is coming upon your family. I need an amen right there. The blessing of God is coming upon your children. Open doors are about to fly open. Glass ceilings above you are about to break. Strongholds that have been in your children are going to break. I'm, I'm telling you, things that have been in generations past. Uh, God, God gave me a word for you today. So I want you to, want you to lean into this. I want you to be prayerful. As I share this, because I believe that God's given me something. I want to talk about six Christmas gifts to give your children. And uh, six things you can pass on to your, to your kids. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the moments we share. Thank you for all that you're going to do in this moment. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen, amen. and amen. As complicated and challenging as the family life is, It is still God's greatest gift that he ever gave mankind. God is not expecting perfect families. Everyone say praise the Lord. (laughs) But he is empowering us to raise godly families. To show the love and the grace and kindness of Jesus to a lost and dying world. God's greatest witnessing tool is still the family. God's greatest sign of his love and of his character is still the family. What America needs is not found in the White House, it's found in your house. What Nevada needs is not found in the governor's mansion, it's found right here. It's found in your house. What your neighbors need and what your friends need and what your workplace needs, and I'm not against politics, we should vote, we should vote our values, and and I'll, I'll probably be louder about that in the future than ever before, but let me tell you what America 
desperately needs. It needs families that love God and love each other and love the world because a family that loves God is an unstoppable force for good in their region and in their city and in their nation. And what is going to turn America back to God will be the family. What will turn America back to God will be fathers turning their hearts to children and children turning their hearts to their fathers and their mothers. This is what God needs in the earth to do everything that he wants to do in the earth. And it is worth fighting for your family. It is worth praying for your family. It is worth being in the house of God on a Sunday morning with that teenager right now that's rolling their eyes and looking at Instagram. It is worth, it was worth the fight to get them in here. It was worth the screaming match in the car because they may not show it and they may not act like it, but I'm telling you the Spirit of God even right now is doing something on the inside of them that they may not admit. I want you to remember over and over again that God refers to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God of generations. He is a multi-generational God. What God does, he does in threes. What God does in your life, he's already thinking about Isaac and he's already thinking about Jacob. What God's doing in your life, he's already thinking about who's next. What God is doing in your life right now, he's already, and, and by the way, the devil knows this. That's why the devil fights you. He fights you because he doesn't want what God is doing in your life to get on your kids. The reason the devil attacks you is because he doesn't want the work of the Holy Spirit in your life because he knows it will affect the next generation. Because if the devil can get it to stop with you, then it will not touch your children. But in the name of Jesus, I'm telling you that every weapon that's formed against you, it will not prosper. I said it will not prosper. Give me an amen in the room. Come on. And it's on you and it's on your children. I want you to notice this in Exodus 29. God is speaking to Aaron and he said, Aaron's sacred garments must be preserved for his descendants who succeed him. Notice this. Aaron is alive and Aaron is the priest. But God says, Aaron won't be here forever. You won't be here forever. We have a short time on the earth. The Bible says our life is like a mist. It's like a vapor. Even if you live to 100 years, 120 years, it is still a very short time in comparison to eternity. So God says, Aaron, I know you're young and I know you're alive and well right now, but I want you to think about your descendants who will succeed you. Here's why. Your life matters because they're going to wear what you're wearing. They're going to wear your garments one day. They're going to wear your faith one day. They're going to wear generational blessing or they're going to wear generational cursing. They're going to wear speaking life or they're going to wear gossip. They're going to wear prayers or they're going to wear complaints. They're going to wear holiness or they're going to, or they're going to give in and wear the progressive agenda of our day. They're going, to, they're going to wear a value for the house of God or they're going to wear an individualism that will ruin their life. Good morning. When I'm not here, y'all miss me. When I am here, you wish Pastor Robbie was back. Verse 30, the descendant who succeeds him as high priest will wear the clothes. For seven days as he ministers in the tabernacle and the holy place. Here, here's what God is saying. He's saying that, that what you wear, you will pass down to your children and they will wear it. And so it is, it is, 
important to know what you wear. It is important to live a life. And some of you are going, hey, I didn't know that it was that big of a deal. I didn't know it was that important. I, I didn't sign up for this responsibility. Friend, every parent in the room, you must know that God is holding you to a very high standard to pass on what is in you to the next generation. And so this is why it matters. This is why integrity matters, holiness matters, prayer matters, God matters. This is why loving people matters. This is why forgiveness matters. This is why getting hatred out of your heart matters. This is why this is why getting toxicity out of your soul matters because your children will wear the garments. And I don't want that to scare you. I want it to fuel your faith. And it can in Jesus' name. Number one, the first gift I want you to give to your children is a love for the word of God. A love for the word of God. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. There is something eternal you can give to your child. It's not the toys you'll give them on Christmas morning. It's not the newest uh, PlayStation or anything like that. It's not the newest computer. It's not the newest MacBook. It's not any of that. It's not a cell phone. The, the thing you can give your children that is eternal is a love for the Word of God. The Bible is not God, but it is God's chosen vessel that he has decided to use to speak to his people. You cannot know God without the word of God. This is how God has chosen to speak to us. This is how God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And you can try to have a connection with God without scripture, but you will only create an idol. God without the Bible is always idolatry. Because you will end up creating a God in your image instead of being formed into his image. It is the scripture that keeps me aligned. It is the scripture that keeps me holy. It is the scripture that keeps me grounded. It is the scripture that keeps me rooted. And, and if, if I don't have the Bible in my life, I will create a God that looks like me, that has my strengths and my weaknesses, that has my values, and I will, I will think I'm worshiping God, but I'm really just worshiping me. Good morning. This is why when the children of Israel, they left Egypt, they go into the wilderness. Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments. And while he's on the mountain, they, they melt down all of their gold and their silver and they create a calf to worship. And they did not call the calf Baal. And they did not call the calf God. They called the calf Yahweh. They took the, relig the most holy name of God. Oh, we do it today. Jesus would never. He wouldn't. Well, you know, Jesus didn't. He didn't. And we now have a whole progressive Christianity based around people's favorite quotes from Christ while ignoring the scripture. And they're worshiping a golden calf and they're calling him Jesus. Merry Christmas. I'm telling you. It is only the scripture, not just the words in red, because that is, that is the idolatry of today, to take the red letter and ignore the rest of the text. But the Bible said in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and that word became flesh. Y'all don't need a clap. I'll take a Baptist nod. I'll take a Catholic cough. I'll take a Pentecostal amen. I'll take anything. 
I'm just telling you the truth. We must give our children a love for Scripture. Oh, how I love your law, Psalm 119. I meditate it. I meditate on it, excuse me, all day long. This word meditate means to chew. I chew on it. It means to, it means to mutter under my breath. You get a word and you say it and you speak it and you declare it. And you get songs playing in your car. And you get the scripture playing in your car and you, and you, begin, to, you begin to meditate on the word of God. You begin to say it. You begin to say it. Your commands are always with me. They make me wiser than my enemies. John chapter 6, verse 68, Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The Bible is the only book that when you read it, it reads you. (laughs) It works on me. It purifies me. It washes me. It cleanses me. It corrects me. It encourages me. It lifts me. It changes my perspective. It renews my mind. It restores my soul. It, it, it reads me, it, it, it reminds me, it lifts me, it points me to the future. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 said, the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates through the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. I want you to think of God's word as a surgeon's scalpel that can go right into the issue and it can divide and it can separate to heal. It's never meant to cut just to cut but to heal. It's never meant to divide just to divide but to heal. It's to get to the source of the issue between soul and spirit and show us what we really need. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. The Word of God literally the Bible calls a mirror. And when you open the text, you see yourself and you go, oh my God, I didn't know there was spinach in my teeth. I didn't know. I didn't know I had that pimple. I didn't know I, I didn't know I had that little crusty thing in my eye. Jesus. That's what a mirror does. And in the same way, when you read the word, you go, oh, I didn't know I had that attitude. I thought I was, oh oh, Lord. Oh, I thought I was doing all right. Oh man, I got to take that to the next. Oh man, I. Oh yeah, Lord, I haven't been. I haven't been praying. Oh yeah. Oh wow, I, I do need to love my my husband. I, oh man, I do need to love my wife. Wow, I do need to forgive that person. The Word of God. Is this too old school for y'all? Are you okay? Are you okay? Listen, you want to know the will of God. If you want to know the will of God, know the Word of God. Because the Word of God is truth, and the Word of God is God's will. And if you, if you will saturate yourself in the word, you'll always know God's will. See, Jesus said it like this. He said, he said don't worry about what to say when you need to speak. The Holy Spirit will give you the words. Here, here's, what he, here's what he's saying. If you'll be saturated in the word, you'll know what to say. I'll go further. You'll know what business deals to sign. You'll know what house to buy. You'll know what school to send your kids to. You'll know who to marry. You'll know who to date. You'll know who to be friends with. If you'll fill yourself with truth... You'll have this knowing in your knower. Now, that's not in the Bible, but I've lived it for 20 years. You'll have a knowing in your knower. They're trouble. She's poison. That's not the house. Yep, that's the school. Yep, that's the business partner. Nope, that's not the person. Nope, we don't need to hang with them again. You'll know it by the Holy Spirit because you're so saturated in truth. Oh my gosh, that took too long and I've got six points. Number two, you got to give your, you got to give your child a prayer life. 
In prayer, God hears my voice. And in prayer, I hear God's voice. Our God hears and answers prayer. God said in Luke chapter 1, verse 13, the angel said, excuse me, to Zechariah, God has heard your prayer. God has heard your prayer. What God does on the earth, he does in partnership with his people. And what God does in the earth, he only does through prayer. What God communicates to his people, he communicates through prayer. And what God does through his people, he does through a praying church. City Light Church will be limited by the prayers we pray. Your family will be limited by the prayers you pray. Your faith will be limited by the prayers you pray. God will go no further than your prayer life. Psalm 105 said they limited the Holy One of Israel. How can you limit an unlimited God? You limit him with small prayers. You limit him by not seeking him. You limit him by not speaking to him. The Bible said in Hebrews chapter 3 that the children of Israel did not inherit the promised land because of their unbelief. It wasn't the walls. It wasn't the giants. It wasn't the land. It wasn't their enemies. It was their unbelief. You must give your child a prayer life. You must teach them to pray, and you, you teach them to pray when they hear you pray. A prayer life is caught more than taught. Psalm 66, verse 19. I know it's getting quiet. It's only going to get quieter. But y'all love me, so it's okay. Psalm 66, verse 19. But God, God uh, look at this. But certainly God has heard me. He's heard me. Now, this is it for me. If I, if I could give you one scripture today, it's this. And I want you to take this home, and I want you, I want you to grab a hold of this. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. To the voice of my prayer. You don't think prayers, you give voice to your prayer. You can write down a prayer, that's okay, but you have to eventually give voice to your prayer. It's okay to type out, I need prayer on Facebook or Instagram, but you must give voice to your prayer. Because God is listening to the voice of your prayer. He'll give heed. He'll pay attention. He'll stop what he's doing to hear the voice of your prayer. And when you speak prayer, you get a voice in the spirit. When you speak, God hears you. When you speak, your children hear you. When you speak, the devil hears you. When you speak, something begins to happen. We must give voice to our prayer. Listen to me. And I especially want to talk to dads. And I know I'm Pentecostal and I know I'm Mexican and I know I'm emotional and I know I'm a preacher. But listen to me, dad. But I'm also a man. And I have, and I'm just like you. I gotta walk in this auditorium and I gotta sing. And I gotta lift my hands. And I have to pray in the spirit. And I have to clap. And I have to shout. And I have to lift my eyes towards heaven. And all of us come in here the same way. And all of us have to make the choice to rejoice. And Omar gets up and he goes, Come on, we're gonna pray. Lift your hands. And let me tell you, Dad, what all your kids do. They look at you. Let's lift our hands. And that's why your teenager doesn't lift their hands. Your teenager needs to walk into this house with you. Your child needs to walk into this house with you. And they need to see you lift your hands. And they need to see tears come down your face. And they need to see you clap and shout and sing off key and pray and seek God. Because there's something transferable. I'm not emotional. It's amazing how unemotional you are in church, but how emotional you are at the game and at the concert. 
Don't give me that. I'm done with that. Because Americans are emotional. We're emotional about what we care about. And we will paint our faces. We will bring signs. We will take off our shirts and show our beer bellies at football games. And we come in the house of God and go, I'm not emotional. You'll go to 24-hour fitness and play basketball and get in a fist fight. 40 years old, throwing elbows. Not emotional. You are emotional. You'll throw a golf club halfway across the course. You are emotional. Am I just preaching to myself right now? Can I tell you? And when we come to the house of God, our children must see us pray and sing and shout. Why don't we take a praise break right now and just lift up some praise to the Lord? Come on. Hallelujah. Your child will not remember all you say, and they will not remember all that you pray, but they will remember what they felt when you prayed. I grab my little Goldie, and I hold her. She's five. And if I'll pray in English, she's pretty chill. But if I'll start praying in tongues, some of you are like, oh, my God, it's one of those churches. Yep. I'm one of those guys. And I'll start praying in tongues. And I don't know what it is, and she hasn't explained to me yet what she feels, but she'll hold on real tight, and she'll close her eyes. And I'll go, do you know what I'm saying? She goes, no. (laughs) I go, have you ever done this? She goes, no. That's okay. And I'll just pray in tongues, and she'll just, she gets real quiet. And the other day, we're driving in the car, and we were singing some worship song, Shall Not Want, or something else, and and she's going, she's having fun, she's doing her thing. And something came over me. I started thinking about someone in the church. I started praying in tongues right there in the car. Can't imagine what other people think about me when, I, when they're driving by me. I started doing warfare for you. I started praying for your children. I started praying for your families. So don't get weirded out. All of a sudden, I look in the rearview mirror, and she's like this in her little car seat. So are you praying with me? She goes. <laughs> She'll remember what she felt. She'll remember what she felt when, when, when I lay my hands on her and declare the word of the Lord. I'll tell you this story, and I won't go into detail, but there was a day that I sent my pastor, Jensen Franklin, I sent him a text one day years ago. And I gave him some tough news, and I said, I, just please pray for us. I thought he would write back, praying for you, buddy. I thought he would write back, got you covered. He called immediately. And he's a very busy person. He has a, leads a huge ministry, has a lot of things going on in his life. He called me, and he called me crying. And for 15 minutes, I sat in a Wells Fargo parking lot as he prayed for me for 15 minutes. I can't give you one word he said. I just remember sitting there in the car sobbing as he prayed. Your kids won't remember everything you said, but they will remember what they felt when you pray. And let me just talk, especially to parents with older kids, they may not admit it, and they may not say they like it, and they may actually resist it, but something's going on in their heart when you pray. Number three, it's about to get real quiet, so just everyone get ready. You got to give your child discipline. It's a gift. No is a gift. And if God's ever said no to you, you know it's true. No is a gift. 
Boundaries are a gift. It's a gift that you can lock your house up at night and go to sleep. It's a gift. It's a boundary. It's a boundary line. It's a gift. It's a gift that you can lock the doors to your vehicle. It's a gift. That, that, that seatbelt is a gift. Structure is a gift. And you decide it, not your kid. You decide it. Well, you know, my kid just kind of eats when they want. No, you're the parent. They kind of just sleep when they want to sleep. No, you decide when they sleep. <laughs> like, really? Really? You decide. Well, you know, they just really like to watch TV. You decide how much they watch. They're not really into school. You decide that. You're the parent. Okay, I told you it's going to get. You see that sermon just died just now? It just died. Faith, faith, faith. I don't like this guy. Proverbs 13, 24. So I feel like the parent right now. Y'all are acting like you're a 15-year-old right now. You know that, right? You're acting. Yeah, okay, okay, you're taking notes, someone said. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. This is Proverbs 13, 24. But those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Discipline is not fun. Discipline gets old. You don't want to do it, but you got to do it. And, and newsflash, newsflash, your kids are so smart. It's, man, they just start crying when I tell Yeah, because they know they're working you. That three-year-old is working you. A one-year-old will work you. A 12-year-old will, they know. They are so stinking smart. They know what they're doing. And, and uh, let, me just, let me just talk to all my counting to three people. Madison, one, two, two and a quarter. They know. They know they have till three. Don't give them till three. Some of you feel so exposed right now. Why, why would they stop at one when they can get to three? And maybe four. Some of you have counted all the way to like 400. You're like, 98. We didn't have one, two, three growing up. Now, now, okay, I, I grew up in a different generation. I'm 38. I grew up in the 80s. We got beat for everything. Just no warning, just spankings, just out of nowhere. I'm not, I'm not saying you need to do that. But I, but I am saying, and in today's world, we're not, you know, I don't know. Our kids will probably sue us now if we spank our kids. Little <laughs> Goldie's like, sends me a subpoena. I'm like, you are five. But I'll tell you, at, we, don't, we don't spank our five-year-old, and here's why. Because when she was 18 months, we'd go, no, that hard. And she'd look at so mad. It didn't hurt her. Rah! She'd just get so angry. We'd go, no. Well, she learned that. So now at five, I go, no. And she goes, okay. Because she remembers. Now, I'm not saying I'm like parent of the year. I'm saying, I'm, but what I am saying is, if, if they know they can get away with more, they'll always push it because they're kids. So you have to give them the structure. Here's why it's so important. Because as they get older, that becomes more and more destructive. Because what they'll learn is I can throw a fit to get what I want. Well, and then they're going to lose their job. And then they're going to get kicked out of their apartment. And then they're going to get kicked out of school. And then they're going to... Because they, 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 they learned I can throw a fit to get what I want. 
and then they throw a fit when they get older, and then they don't get what they want because life doesn't work that way. So if life doesn't work that way, your home shouldn't work that way. I'm not asking you to be hard or harsh or mean or cold, but you have to give your kids the structure, and, it's, and it's, it wears you out. But you have to be more consistent and last longer than your child does. Okay. So never discipline when you're angry. This is something my parents never did. Now, they were spankers, but they always sent us to our room, and we had to wait. Here's what we were waiting. We were waiting for them to cool off. We thought they were torturing us. You know, we thought they were like, ah, we're just waiting. No, they were, my mom was there like getting an ice pack trying to just cool off because she's going to kill us. You know, my parents have five kids. It was, you know, it was, it was World War III every day. Uh, they, they would cool off and then they would come in calm and then they would spank us. Now, I'm not, again, please, spanking's the devil. What do you want me to say, okay? Like, I'm just telling you, don't discipline angry. Number two, don't match your kid's emotion. Don't come right back at them at that same level. Okay, you're 40, they're 10. They're 16, you're 50. Don't match their emotion. Don't come down to their level. Okay, don't, don't come back at that same thing. Because again, they're learning. They're learning. Uh, number three, be consistent. Just be painfully consistent. This is when we eat, this is when we go to bed, this is when we sleep, this is when we wake up, this is what we do, this is how much time you get, this is what, just be painfully, just get so consistent. Your kids will actually learn to crave that consistency and that structure. Okay. If you will parent your children when they're young, you get to be their friend when they're old. But if you befriend your child too young, you'll lose your voice in their life and their friendship. Number four, give them time. Give them time. Here is Goldie's most consistent request to me. It is not feed me. It is not buy me toys. It is not let me watch TV. Here's her, here's her most consistent thing that she asks of me. She goes, Daddy, look at me. Watch, Dad. Dad, look. Dad, come look. Look at me. This is what your kids want. And at five, she can express it. At 13, they may not be able to express it. They want the same thing. Let me talk to parents with older kids. Your 30-year-old wants the same thing. They just want, look at me. Just tell tell me I'm doing good. Just give me some attention. A child spells love, T I M E. Unbroken focus. You gotta learn how to give your child that. Here's where to start. Start with dinner. Start with dinner. No TVs, no phones, little music in the background, and eat together. And even if you don't know what to talk about, just you being there unfocused, even if the dinner's quiet, even if your 15-year-old's just sitting there, that's not going to my room. You just sit there. Enjoying the chicken. Thank your mother for the new. <laughs> and you're just there. Just be there. 
Even when there isn't conversation, presence matters. Presence matters. And, and I would say this, there's the five love languages, and one of them is quality time. I would say every child, their love language is quality time. They just want, they just want to be around. If we're upstairs, Goldie's upstairs. If we're downstairs, she's downstairs. There's just, there's just something about it. Number five, give your child a love for God's house. Give them a love for God's house. Joshua 24, 19 says this, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. This is a decision you make. Listen, you cannot make every decision for your child, but you can set the values and non-negotiables for your home when they live in your home. And church attendance should be one of those values. Church attendance should be one of those non-negotiables. You want heat in the winter? You want air conditioning in the summer? You want food three times a day? You go to church. I can't decide everything for you. I can't make you do everything, but I can make you go to church. If you would like a bed. If you would like a roof. And I don't care if you have a 25-year-old in your house. If you want to eat my food. If you want to eat at my dinner table. If you want to sit on my couch. If you want to use my showers, because they're all yours, parents. They're not your kids. They're yours. You know, I try, to, I try to respect their room. It's not their room. It's not their room. You can, go, you can go flip over every bed. You can go through every closet. You can go through every drawer. It's yours. Okay. I don't know where that's coming from, but just felt led. Every teenager in here is like, oh, my God, when I get home, I got to go. You got to get them in the house of God. Psalm 84, verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Listen, there is some, you got to get your kids in church. Here's why. Because you never know the phrase. You never know the song. You never know the sermon. You never know the verse. You never know the preacher. You never know the conversation. You never know the, you never know the God moment that happens for your child where they experience the presence of the Lord, the promise of God, and they're changed. And it's, it's everything that you've already said to them. But in God's presence, there's an anointing behind it. I got saved in the church. I got called into ministry in the church. I got filled with the Holy Spirit in the church. I got water baptized in the church. I met my wife in the church. I, I preached my first sermon in the church. I led worship for the first time in the church. I, I, I learned the values that I live now in the house of God. I learned how to pray in the church. And I was in church before I wanted to be in church because it was a non-negotiable in the Chavez household. You had to be in church. Hebrews 10.25, not giving up together as some are in the habit of doing. Don't, don't give up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing that. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Look what he says. People are in the habit of not being in church. Church is a habit. It's a choice. And there are people who have the habit of being in church and there are people who have the habit of not being in church. You just have to make the decision. If, as long as I'm not sick or not on vacation or not having some big family fun. If I'm home, I'm going to be in the house of God. It's a non-negotiable. 
It's Sunday, we go to church. And we bring our family to the house of God. And, you, and if you've got to come kicking and screaming, kick and scream, we're coming to church. There is something about the house of God. Listen to me, I'm going to say something strong. If you see the church as optional, do not be surprised when your children see God as unnecessary. Let me tell you why. Because God will do in the house under the anointing what as a, as a parent you're trying to teach those values and teach those and you should do that and pray and give the word and, but there's something that happens in the house of God. Yes. Don't make it optional. This is, this is a this is a non-negotiable, as for me and my house, we'll be in the house of God. And it, now, I'm not saying things change overnight. I'm saying, I'm saying you, you, you become more consistent than the devil's attack over your child. You become more consistent than the opposition. This is what I used to tell my youth leaders back when I was a youth pastor. I'd say, after that kid goes and does their crazy thing for a couple months, we're still going to be here. They can go act up. They can go do whatever. They, they can go live however they want to live. And when, whenever they come back to their senses, we will still be here. We will outlast their temptation. We will outlast the attacks of the enemy. And now as a pastor, I, I'm, we're just still here. And we're just still going to be here. And you can get mad at me. And you can leave. And come back in three years. I'm still going to be here. And you can go find a new church. And if you need to go find a new church, I bless you to do that. And if you don't like that church, you want to come back, come on back. We're still going to be here. And in the same way, parents, you just, you just stay consistent with it. Number six, number six. Let me try to get the faith back in the room. Number six. You got to give them words of blessing. Words of blessing. Let me have the keys come up. Words of blessing. I don't know who said sticks and stones may break my bones and words will never harm me, but... They were dead wrong. They were dead wrong. They obviously have never read the Bible. And they have no idea what they're talking about because words are powerful. Words matter. Words carry spiritual power and words carry spiritual authority. Our God is a speaking God. And he demands of us to be a speaking people. And there is blessing in our words. And there is cursing. In our, you can cuss me out, but please don't curse me. Cuss me before you curse me. Because there is something powerful when we speak words of life or death. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Listen, we are eating our words. We are eating death or we are eating life. Here's what Jesus said, parents. We're going to be judged for every idle word idle word. This word idle means lazy. Don't get lazy around your kids. Stop fighting in front of your kids. That's lazy. Have enough self-control to look at your spouse and go, we will finish this tonight. Meet you in the bedroom around 10 p.m., but not around them. Don't be lazy. Don't mouth off in front of them. Don't gossip in front of them. It's going it's to take discipline. But Jesus said you got to be careful because you'll, you'll, you'll get lazy with your words. And he said, I will judge the laziness of your words. 
be careful what you say around them. If you're mad at me, I'll just be honest with you. If you're mad at me, don't complain around your children. Because you'll get mad at me and then you'll get over it, but your kids won't forget it. If you, if, you, if you were ever to get offended with me and leave this church, do it peacefully and quietly. Because you don't want to sow a negative seed into your children that they remember. Oh, that pastor, oh, that Jabin always, da-da-da-da. And it gets in them. And you get over it, and they don't get over it. Don't, comp- don't complain about your spouse to your kids. Don't, do, you, don't get lazy with your words. Speak words of blessing. Now, I want to show you a powerful scripture, Genesis 49, 28. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them. Notice this. Jacob is blessing his 12 sons. Now, here's the big part, especially for parents with more than one child. Please hear this. Giving each the blessing appropriate to him. Why aren't you more like your brother? Don't say things like that. You need to be more like your sister. Don't say things like that. You've got to give them the blessing appropriate to them. All, let me see parents who have more than one child. Can I see how many know your kids are all different? And you have to learn their language. And you have to learn how to speak appropriate to them. You can't parent everyone the same. Because they, they all have different needs and they all have different emotions and they all have different outlooks. So you have to be careful how you speak to each one of them. You have to give them the blessing appropriate to them. And then here's what Jacob did. We can't read it right now. It'll take too long. But in Genesis 49, he takes each one of his sons by name. And he literally looks at it and he says, Joseph. He says his name, Joseph. And then he speaks the blessing. And then he goes, Judah. And then he speaks the blessing. And then he says, Benjamin. And then he speaks the blessing. And then Simeon. And then he speaks. And he does this for all 12 sons. And the Bible says that everything that he declared over them came to pass. Let me tell you something. You got to learn how to be the prophet of your home, Dad. Hey, mom, you got to learn how to be the prophet of your home. You got to learn how to look at your child, say them by name, and then declare, Thus saith the Lord. And you speak the blessing of God over them, and you speak scripture into them, and you speak destiny into them, and you speak, This is what you're going to do in your future. This is where you're going to go in your future. This is what God's going to do in your future. And you begin to declare, Listen, I, I talked about discipline. It is good to tell your kids, Hey, look both ways when you're crossing the street. It's good to tell your kids, Don't talk to strangers. It's good to tell your kids, Don't do drugs. It's, it's good to, to do that. But you must also speak possibility. Come on, say amen. You can do it. Nothing is impossible. You're gifted enough. You're talented enough. What's in your heart to do? Let's do it. You can do that. You can ask that girl out on that. You know, she'll go to prom with you. Go. And if she says no, she's dumb. She's gonna, we're going to go ask somebody else. Come on, somebody. And, and uh, with all the daughters, if you don't like him, don't say yes. There's better boys than that. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, you get it. I'm going to try to offend anyone. My point is, you speak. Friday night, we're at the, the little... Uh, downtown Summerlin parade and Goldie was on my shoulders and little Cindy Lou Who starts walking down the street and I, I grabbed her ankles and I said you can do that you want to be Cindy Lou Who next year you can do that just gotta work, we got to work really hard but you can do that you're gifted you're talented you can do that what do you want to do you want to sing on the stage I'm just talking to her dad she's already getting embarrassed at five Go out. I'll walk you out right now. We'll just go to the street right now. You got to speak possibility. You got you to look at your kids and go, I'm proud of you. I love you. 
you're amazing. You're God's greatest gift to me. I, 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 can't, I can't believe that God would be so good to me that, to give me such an amazing child. And it's awkward at first and it's weird at first. And it's like a, it's a new muscle that you have to use, especially for men to, to begin to speak this way. But you got you to gotta look at them and say, I bless you. You can do it. You're a world changer. Take courage. You're beautiful. You're handsome. You're talented. I'm proud of you. Dream big. Do whatever's in your heart to do. With God, all things are possible. You've got the gift. You've got the anointing. You've got the call. God's hand is on your life. You've got to start talking to your kids that way. Guess what? They will believe you. They will roll their eyes and their spirit's coming alive. They will go, amen. They'll go. <laughs> and they go in their room and they go, wow, maybe. Just maybe. And you learn to declare. You learn like Jacob to lay your hands on your child. And you say the word. And it comes to pass. Because you learn how to bless them and you learn how to declare over them and you learn how to speak. And I want to I talk to every dad really quick. Can I have every, every father, can you stand real quick? This isn't a... Um, this is nothing against mothers, but the Lord told me to do this. So I got to obey. Here's the word of the Lord to you. Everything that your child needs is in you. Everything that your daughters need is in you. Everything that your sons need is in you. And so I'm blessing you and I'm asking you to go bless them. This word blessing means to empower, to come alongside and push. I'm just, I'm, I'm coming alongside you today to push you and to tell you that everything that your kids need, God gave it to you. The coat's on you. The garment's on you. You just have to use it. And it'll be awkward at first. But you gotta learn how to speak blessing over them tonight before they go to bed. Go get in bed with them. Go sit at the edge of their bed and pray for them. If you have adult children that you can't get to tonight, I want you to FaceTime them tonight. It might be awkward. It might be uncomfortable. And you get on FaceTime tonight and go, hey, I just, I want, I'm going to pray for you before you go to bed. And you watch that 30-year-old start crying. And you watch that 28-year-old get choked up. And you watch that, that 19-year-old off at college right now. You, you watch them. And you... You become the safest, most positive, most secure voice in your child's life. And what a teacher can never do and what a pastor can never do and what a friend can never do and what a grandparent can never do and what you become that voice to them. And, I've, and I heard the Holy Spirit this week tell, tell them in this because it's in you. And if you will give voice to your prayer, the, the voice will be there. If you'll give voice to it, it'll be there if you'll open your mouth. But you have to give voice to it. And it might be awkward at first and uncomfortable at first and just a little bit weird at first, but give voice to it. And then as you speak, it's going to like snowball. And your kids will start craving your blessing. 
let me say it like this. Your kids already crave your blessing. But now you'll give voice to what they're craving. And they'll know it's not a boy that I need. It's not a girl that I need. It's not acceptance that I need. It's not a friend group that I need. It's not a drug that I need. It's not a drink that I need. Actually, what I'm craving, I find right here at home with the blessing of a father. So in Jesus' name, I release you to do that. And you will do it. And you will sense the anointing of God and the presence of God as you do. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.